0: Of John eighteen, it's Pilate's. Uh, it was Pilate's uh, trial of Jesus, and uh, we asked the question, "What is truth?" That was the question that Pilate asked Jesus, "What is truth?" And uh, and and what we came to discover, and 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 many of us maybe already knew, is that Jesus Christ is truth. That there is absolute truth. Uh, that there that, that we do have subjective truth, but that that absolute objective truth exists, and that is that Jesus. Christ is the Messiah, and that He is the way to God. We're going to cover the second half of Pilate's uh, uh, trial of Jesus here today, and, and we'll start in John 19, verse 1. It starts in verse 1. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had Him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on His head. They clothed Him in a purple robe, and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, They shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a god opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Let's pray together. Father, it is incredible to consider the pain that Jesus suffered here at the hands of of this man, Pilate, who you allowed to be in that place. Father, I pray that as we look into the Scriptures today, that our hearts would be moved and stirred so that our desires might get in line with yours. And that, Father, we would learn from the examples that we read here today. And that we would do everything that you give us to do so that ultimately we would glorify your Son. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The irony of the day and time uh, is is pretty remarkable. It's the preparation day. The preparation day for the Passover. The Passover was a time for Israel to celebrate God's deliverance, to celebrate when Israel had been in captivity for over 400 years in Egypt. And then uh, 400 years later, they're Praying and begging God and God sends them Moses and 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 all that story. Go and study it on your own. It's inspiring. But that's what this celebration was all about. It was a celebration of God's deliverance, of God coming through. And this day prior to the preparation day was the day that they would prepare for the sacrifices that would be made, all of the the, the meals and, and everything. And about midday, about noon, the preparation of slaughtering the animal, the sacrificial animal, happened. That was the time when Jesus was brought out. About noon, it says that there at the end of that text. That it was about noon. It was a time that should have been one of focus of of obeying God, of, of, of gratitude toward God, amazement at God's provision. And yet what we see here is an exposure of misplaced desire. Last time we asked the question, what is truth? Today we ask the question, what is your desire? What is your desire? This scripture exposes the desires of three different people or groups of people. The first is Pilate's desire. His desire was success and power. He wanted to keep the power he had been given. He enjoyed what he had. He would be in Jerusalem because it was the time of this festival. The the the, the Roman uh, ruler, would have, the, the area governor, would have been in Jerusalem during this time because this, the, the population of Jerusalem swelled into the tens of thousands at that point. But normally he would live in a... Re- Amazing place called Caesarea Maritime, which is just north uh, up the northern coast uh, in, in Israel. I don't have pictures, but trust me, it is a fantastic area. If you're looking for property, if there hadn't been something there in these Roman ruins, you might be able to buy some. And it's beautiful. The and and and, and the the home of Pilate was on, the water. that is actually still in the water. You would you can see the. Ruins of the uh, from from the uh, foundation of the house that was literally in the water it was a sweet place he had everything that he wanted success and power now how he got it is a whole different thing because he married into the emperor's family he himself was not part of the family he was married he he was married to uh, 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 one of the the daughters of the uh, the youngest daughter. Uh, I'll just read this to you. He married uh, from the perspective. Uh, he, he married Claudia, and uh, and I'll read you what it says here. It says from the perspective of Pilate's future, marrying Claudia was a wise move. She had connections with the highest levels of Roman government, but morally it was a disgrace. For Julia, the emperor's daughter. Who thereby became Pilate's mother-in-law, was a woman of such depraved and coarse habits that even in decadent Rome she was notorious. Augustus, her father, avoided her presence and eventually banished her. It is reported that afterward, whenever someone would mention the name of his daughter to him, Augustus would claim, "Would I were wifeless or had childless died." That's the that's who he met. That's his wife's and his wife's family, his wife's mother. That, that They were so bad that the emperor would have preferred to die without a wife or child than to have them. That was Pilate's marriage, but it gained him what he wanted. His desire was success and power, and, and, and though you and I might not have done it, it's what he did. Pilate was insistent on his power. His 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 desire for power and success led him to do terrible things. Uh, this 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 slide is is uh, a picture of uh, this is a picture of the thorns that were created that created the crown that was used to make Jesus' crown. You see the you see the thorns. They were about one and a half to two inches long. And this would have been twisted into a crown, which could have been done very carefully with, with instruments of some sort. But this was, is this was actually, I took this picture uh, in, in, uh, 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 near, the, near the Dead Sea uh, in, in Getty. And, and these trees are still there. And this, 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 is, this is what would have been used. That's, he, he wanted power so badly that he was, he was willing to, to destroy an innocent man. To take him and flog him, uh, a flogging was was a, a, a it was an awful thing. If you've not known what a flogging is, they they take this thing. It's it's a, it's called it's the cat of nine tails, is what I've heard it referred to as. And and on the on the pieces of leather would often be bone and and lead, and and it would be used to to whip the back and the and and it would be the man would be naked whenever the flogging would happen, and they would they would they would whip and tear to shreds his back. All the while, Pilate, what does he say over and over again? He's innocent. So there's only one reason why Pilate wouldn't let this happen. It's so that he could keep his power, so that he could keep his success, because if he didn't work out and keep peace with the Jews, they would talk to the people above him, and he would lose his place. So his desire drove him to do things he might not otherwise do. Whenever he brings Jesus out, here's some references to Old Testament passages about that give us a little bit of an idea of what Jesus must have looked like. In Psalm 22:17, 17, I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. Isaiah 52, 14, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. That's how badly he was beaten. His ribs would have been exposed. Not just bruises, but exposed because of the beating he had received. The Romans perfected it to the point where they could bring someone just to the point of death and then take them down. And then the crown of thorns is placed. And then the robe is placed. And then the beating on the head is done. All to keep Pilate's place. All because of his desire to keep his place. He brings him out. One writer I read said that he brought him out, think that his condition would have have surely this beaten and broken man, they would see how badly injured he was, and they would want to let him go. And, of course, they didn't. They proclaimed, crucify, crucify. Pilate brings him back in, and, and, he, and he, they said he uh, talked about him claiming to be the Son of God, which brought even more fear to Pilate. What was this fear? It continues to be the same thing. Bad things are going to happen to me, so let me continue this trial. And he proclaims his power, which we know he didn't have. And then Pilate comes back out and sits at the stone uh, 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 on that spot in the judge's seat, and the Matthew account tells us that, how his wife came out to him and sent a message to him, and this is what she said. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Claudia sent him a message. And though it wasn't his worst thing, he didn't listen to his wife. Brothers, husbands, listen to your wife. Whenever your desires become so great that you won't listen to your wife, you're in trouble, guys. You learned nothing from last weekend. Pilate insisted. He wanted to keep his desire, uh, his desire for success, his desire for power was going to stay intact no matter what. And he would bring him out course, and then the crucifixion would happen later. The desire of the religious leaders, they desired the death of Jesus, not just his death, but his curses. That, that, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago in Deuteronomy 21-23, curses anyone hung on a tree, they didn't just want him to die, they wanted him to be cursed because they wanted the status quo. They wanted it to go back. To where they were the ones in charge. Everyone is looking to them, because now, what we know about why they brought Jesus to him is—is is this in Mark chapter twenty-seven? Also said in Mark fifteen. I'm sorry, Matthew twenty-seven also said in Mark fifteen. It is out of envy that they handed Jesus over to them. It was out of envy, envious of the fact that people who had followed him and abandoned them and their teaching. Envious of the notoriety that they would never have the way Jesus did. Envious of the fame that Jesus had acquired in such a short amount of time. Envious of of the fact that, that his position and the people would listen to him even though he did not follow some religious Jewish teacher, he did not follow a rabbi of, of consequence that they knew of. They were envious. They were burning inside. The Greek word for envy, a state of ill will towards someone because of some real or presumed advantage experienced by such a person. They knew that Jesus was going to take their place. Jesus was Their position was going to be lost. And they thought, let's get rid of him. Their desire drove them to murder. It led them to pledge allegiance to Caesar. To to make the proclamation: we have no king but Caesar. Caesar is the emperor in a place. This is scripture references for envy that I meant that I skipped over. Uh, write those down. Uh, all the places that envy is, is dealt with regarding sin and, and how dangerous it is um but 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 they would go on their 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 desire for getting rid of Jesus led them to even proclaim that we have no king but Caesar what we know about the about the Israelites is that they hated Rome they thought the Messiah was going to come and rescue them from Roman rule That that it would be a time that that when the Messiah came, that they would finally get the shackles would be removed once and for all, and Israel would be restored to its glory. Now they've gone backward. And calling on having a king. And almost as if they appreciated what the king would do. It brings us back to a time in Israel's history. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, let's go back there. Keep your hand here in John 19. Let's look at a little bit of Israel's history in 1 Samuel chapter 8. To see the warning that God gave to Israel when they desired a king. In verse 11 of 1 Samuel 8, it says... He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. That was before Saul would become king. That was the warning God gave. And now here we are, centuries later, we have Caesar. And what drove them to that was their deep-seated desire for the death of Jesus. That they would go so far out of their minds that they wanted a man dead. The desire of Pilate and the desire of the religious leaders would leave us hopeless without Jesus. There's a tension there. We feel this this feeling of heaviness from them. How could they do it? We look at it and we think, surely we would never do that. But if we were there, we very well might have. We have this great contrast here in the text, though. We have the contrast of Jesus' desire to save the world. That was the contrast here. He's ready to endure whatever would come his way. He knew that he would be fulfilling the passages mentioned before, the pain and suffering that would come. Jesus showed us that he really meant it when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus' desire never changed from the beginning to the end. In Luke 19, in Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And in Philippians 2, verse 6, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' deepest desire was to do the will of God above and beyond anything else. In John 14, 31, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus' will was God's will. They were synonymous with each other. And His acceptance of God's will drove him to deny himself it drove him to submit himself to the greatest of physical, emotional and, 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 and spiritual turmoil and torture that any man could possibly survive it drove him to endure the shame of the cross, it drove him to keep, uh, to, to entrust himself to him who judges justly His attitude was that what I have is because of what God told me. Jesus' will was God's will. That's Jesus' desire. Our question for us to answer today what is our desire? What is our desire? What Jesus did, his willingness to endure this flogging we read about here, and everything else that we'll cover from here on out, it was all done so that we might shift our desire to get in line with God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. If you're following Jesus today, this is what you committed to doing. That our desire or my desire would equal God's desire. That we would replace our desires, and that they would become in themselves what God desires. People who knew me when I was a kid would have known that my desire as a kid was to become a professional bowler. That was what I wanted to do, that I wanted to be a professional bowler, and I was pretty good at it. And, and and everything that my mother worked at a bowling alley, she was the assistant manager at a bowling alley, and I would go I would I would take every opportunity I had to go bowling. I started bowling when I was six years old. And it was it was it, everybody, that, that's just how I was known. I spent every evening that I could. I was at the bowling alley. I remember as a little one being in the, in, in the child care area and the little uh, wonderful vanilla cookies you got in, the, in there, the Lance cookies. You can still buy them at the store. It was fantastic. And then, and then the day, Saturday mornings was bowling day uh, that we had a league and, and I would bowl there. And then whenever I got older, I would bowl. Every opportunity I had, I would look for opportunities to go bowling to try to get as free passes as I could. When I was 13, I went to go work at the bowling alley because when you worked at the bowling alley, you got six free games a week. So you would go and bowl, and I'd get use my six free games up and then look for get try to get free passes from my mother because it wasn't free, even though she worked there. Uh, uh, but, but it was everything. It was my life. Whenever I was, uh, you know, I, I missed my senior prom to go to a state bowling tournament. I didn't have a girlfriend. I wasn't going with anybody anyway. But, but that's, that's, that's how crazy I was about bowling. I would endure pain. My, my right thumb, if you looked at my right thumb when I was bowling regularly, it looked like a squash frog. It was more oval than it was, you know, it was, it was flattened and with blisters on both sides. And I would always form a blister on my hand. And you know what I'd do? I'd put this stuff, it's called new skin. You ever to use new skin what happens when you put new skin on an open wound whoo it burns I didn't care endure the pain to bowl and win money that's what I cared about and 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 my and, and this dream of becoming a professional bowler I found out whenever I as I after I joined the Navy and all of that I actually found out that my I had a family member that was willing to sponsor me to go on the pro tour if I had had the drive to continue. But after I joined the Navy, many other things took place. Many other other things took precedent. And my desire shifted from becoming a professional bowler to just being selfish. And that's what it was. For the next many years, until until I finally, God humbled me and allowed me to find Him through His Word 24 years ago almost. In May it'll be twenty-four years since I started coming to church here. It well when in, in Norfolk when we met at the Marriott. And Alexa was a year and a half old when that happened. And 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 but but my life had become all about self. And and it looked more like uh, oh gosh, where is it? Sorry. My desires were greater than God's desires. That was what my life was. Only with Christ was it possible that I could replace my desires with God's desires, and and then all of it, and then and then my life really changed when I repented and was baptized on June twentieth, nineteen ninety six. That's that's when God intervened, and 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 and, and my desires were God's desires, and it didn't matter. Coming to church, sharing my faith, you didn't have to tell me that I was there. Helping people, I, I so badly wanted to help people become Christians. I was—I had been a i became a Christian in June. I hadn't helped anybody my first six months as a Christian. I had been in and out of Florida and been in Texas for a month. And in January, I, t- I thought I've not helped anybody become a Christian. I'm going to fast from meat until I help somebody become a Christian. I'm from Texas. You take a chance on getting kicked out of your family if you fast from meat. I'm just kidding. I have have vegetarians in my family now. We don't talk to them much. Um, But that that was my desire. And then a month later, a guy named Andrew Jackson became a Christian. Not that Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, he's actually a disciple in the church in Hawaii to this day still. Six years ago, I was in—I was doing a class in, in San Antonio in 2012. I was doing a class in San Antonio with another woman who was a single mom. It was a single parents class. I wasn't single at that time, but I, they knew I had, and they would asked us to do that. Um, after that class, a woman came, came up to me, and she said, You don't know me, but my brother is Andrew Jackson. And ten years ago, I was baptized into Christ. And my mother was baptized into Christ. I thought... All because I gave up meat. No, not, not because I gave up meat. Won't make me like mushrooms. But no, but I, it's not because of me. It's because God put a desire in my heart when He changed me. When I when I when I read through this passion account, when I studied the Bible. Do you remember when you read it the first time when you were studying the Bible? And you you shifted, your desires shifted completely away what you wanted. It was was like that. Your desires were God's desires. Whatever God wanted, go anywhere, do anything. It used to be the theme. You heard it all the time when I was a young Christian. Now is it, go maybe do something. What has it become for you? Has it become this now as a Christian? Your desire is now greater than God's desire? I wish I could say that mine has consistently been that God's desire has been my desire my entire Christian life. Just ask my family. They'll tell you that's not true. Because I've, I've messed up plenty today. You know, yesterday. Stupid stuff, and I and 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 it, now that's not. I'm not saying there. I'm not settling there. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna continue fight fighting so that so that it it goes back to this, and consistently. And and the way that our Christian lives should be is that we we uh, through our own sanctification and as we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, that we're being transformed by the Spirit. Into the likeness of Jesus, that more often than not, it's this that my desire equals God's de- desire rather than my desire being greater than God's desire. I don't know where you are in this today. But I know what God desires from us. And that passage I've flashed by a couple of times in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 whoever claims to live in Him, must walk as Jesus did. That's God's desire for us. To walk as Jesus did. What is your desire today? If you're following Jesus today, I would love to think that your desire is equal to God's desires. But I've been here on Wednesdays. And I know that you know, much, many of us just decide, and we don't need fellowship that those days. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? Well, I'm saying when we meet together, when you counted the cost, whenever you said, I want to follow Jesus, and we said, are you willing to meet the body meets? And you said, absolutely, I am there. Is that still your conviction? It is God's desire. The example we have is in Acts chapter 2 when they met together every day. We don't say that, although we do hope you connect with disciples regularly. I think that's great. But, but but, but, why not come together? Have you forgotten, as a Christian, that life's not about you? Have you forgotten that when you said Jesus is Lord, you're saying that I'm no longer the Lord of my life wherever Jesus calls me? I hear sometimes people talk about this balance. Well, I need to have balance. What is that? What is balance? Isn't it all Jesus? Isn't it Jesus is Lord of every part of my life? From my wallet to my time to my family to my job to everything? Isn't that what it's intended to be? Let me just give you one thing to do this week ask someone you trust. What would you say my desires are? Based on the use of my time, the use of my money, the use of my gifts, the use of my life, what would you say is my, is my greatest desire? Would they say your comfort? Would they say your family? Would they say your schooling? Would they say your job? Would they say, what would they say? What would be filled in in the blank for you? If it's not Jesus and godliness, then it's time to repent. It's time to shift your desire so that it is in line with God's desire. That in fact, your desire becomes whatever God desires. If you're not yet following Jesus, let me just encourage you. Your your will... Is your own, but maybe you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now, and you're feeling like, Whoa, "Well, you—you're really calling us to something." I don't know about this. I don't know if I agree with this guy. Get this over with. I'm hungry. But you know deep down that your desires are more important than you, than than God's desires right now. There's a reason that we get a chance. To let God's desires be our desires. And that's only because of Jesus. And we'd love to show you in the scriptures how that happened. How it happened for each of us. And even give you a chance to learn a little bit about us. Because the story I told about myself, everybody has one of those. And they'll tell you how their week went as well. And the times whenever their desires were not in line with God's desires... And even the sine wave that is can be our desires. Because it's who we are. It's okay. We're not perfect. But we're forgiven. Do you want that? If you're not following Jesus yet, do you want forgiveness? Do you want the opportunity to be able to have God's desires be yours? Because that's what God is offering. This week, I really would encourage you. Ask the person you're close to. Ask somebody. Come and ask me. If I know you well, I'll give you an answer. If I don't know you that well, I'll say, well, this is what I see, but I don't know that well. Ask somebody. Battle through whatever necessary, just as Jesus did. He had to wrestle in the Garden of Gethsemane for a long time to get his will in line with God's will. Maybe it's going to take a lot of wrestling and prayer for you. Maybe it's going to take a lot of fasting and, 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 and radical living and choices for you to really get your heart in line with God's will. But decide today that you're going to respond to Jesus' example, that you're going to, you're going to imitate Him as, as you did if you're a Christian now but have fallen backwards a little bit, it's time to repent and get your desire in line with God's will desire. Let's live that way on the peninsula. Amen.